We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Maricela. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Steve Cunningham, SouthPavilion.us, uh, coming at you on December 27th, St. John's Feast Day, uh, bringing to you uh, Hugh Owen of the Colby Center and John Wynn of Foundations Restored to talk about the DVD or the DVD series or online streaming series that just got produced, thanks be to God, on Darwinian Carthusian model and the, basically on creation in general. So, Gentlemen, welcome, and uh, please tell us a little bit about yourselves. Thank you very much, and uh, blessed Christmas to everybody. Um, my name is Hugh Owen. I'm the director of the Colbay Center for the Study of Creation, which provides a forum for Catholic theologians, philosophers, and natural scientists all over the world who defend the traditional Catholic doctrine of creation, what was believed and taught by all the fathers, doctors, popes and council fathers from the time of the apostles and who also show the fatal flaws in the molecules to man evolutionary account of the origins of man in the universe. And my name is John Wynn with uh, Restoring Truth Ministries. We are an apostolate that has uh, been in existence for 20 years looking at worldview issues, uh, especially origins and evidence born and against evolution theory. Very good. Now, the, the DVD series that came out and the online streaming service that came out, what was the genesis behind that idea? You know, uh, when we put out our first book called Repairing the Breach in 2008, uh, we, we had in mind to eventually develop a DVD series around that, uh, but it was really through getting to know Hugh Owen the following year in 2009 that uh, the idea start, started to gain momentum, and then through Hugh's many contacts with various theologians and scientists, we finally realized in 2016 that we really thought thought that we had the uh, the weapons to put this uh, this series together and to uh, to make this a strong case against evolution and show why the traditional doctrine of creation uh, taught by the Catholic Church is supported by the science, theology, and philosophy. You? I could say that from the very beginning of the Colby Center, we've recognize that we need to find a way to reach the millions and millions of, of Catholics, especially young Catholics, who never hear the other side of the story on the creation-evolution controversy. And so for a long time, we've had as one of our principal goals 
to make sure that every single Catholic young person has at least one opportunity to hear a good defense of the true Catholic doctrine of creation before they reach adulthood. And the problem is that uh, in the Western world, evolution-based modernism is so entrenched that even though we will go anywhere in the world to give one of our seminars at no cost to our host, we find it almost impossible to get into schools, universities, Newman clubs, seminaries in the Western world. And uh, whereas in, in, in Africa, we find the doors wide open to us in the, in the Western world, it's just the opposite. And so one of the reasons why we were so enthusiastic about producing this DVD series is it now puts the tools in the hands of any Catholic of goodwill so that that person can now host a very complete course that provides a comprehensive defense of the traditional teaching of the church on creation from the perspective of theology, philosophy, and natural science with a teacher's guide that will allow the ordinary Catholic to lead a very productive discussion and to make sure that the audience of whether they're high school age students, university students, or, or older people uh, really understand the content. And so this is why we invested three years in producing the DVD series because now for the first time, there is a tool that any Catholic can use to provide a comprehensive presentation of the true Catholic doctrine of, the cre of creation, which is the foundation of our faith. And that's why we call the series Foundations Restored, because the doctrine of creation is the foundation of our faith. It's the first article of the creed. And if that is not sound, then the whole edifice of the faith is very weak and easily easily crumbles. Yes, and now I've seen all the episodes. Uh, I know the, in the website, which we'll have linked in the show notes section, description of the video shows the first two for free. So if you haven't seen it already, check it out, see the first two. But a lot of people have been responding with, uh, "Why? What's what's the what's this important for? Why do we need this? Uh, can you all just talk about or talk about that question itself? Like, why is this even important? Like, that's great, you know, if they create like a one of my favorite women was on Young uh, with uh, Father uh, uh, Start W. I got the book over here, which is a great book on the Colby Center website, by the way. Get that. I bought it for a couple of seminarians. That was a fantastic hour on that word and the, what it means for what a day is. Uh, John, why is that important for everybody? Well, I, I would say uh, there is this general sense uh, we'll run into a lot. Uh, when we speak with Catholics that haven't really looked at the issue closely, and the attitude is that question, why is this whole issue of origins important? Isn't that maybe just an issue for Protestants and maybe an over-liberalistic view of Scripture? But all they have to do is really look at the Catechism. Uh, paragraph 282 of the Catholic Catechism says that the question of origins is a, is a, doctrine, of a doctrine of major importance because it addresses those questions such as where did we come from, 
Why are we here? What happens when we die? And uh, so, so from a theological and philosophical perspective, it's a very important question that men have always asked themselves, where did I come from? And once we have the correct answer to that, it eliminates so many false worldviews from consideration. There are dozens and dozens of philosophies such as humanism, materialism, and so forth, that rely upon materialistic evolution for their intellectual foundation. Once we understand that the science does not support evolution uh, concepts, it, it totally destroys those, philosoph uh, those philosophies from a scientific perspective alone. But Hugh, I mean, theistic evolution, God could have done this, right? It's not that big of a deal. We forget about Darwin, God did it, right? Well, St. Thomas answered that question a long time ago in the Summa Contra Gentilis, the angelic doctor says that the opinion of those who say that it's a matter of indifference, what we believe about creation. You know, it doesn't matter whether God used billions of years of evolution or created everything by fiat, as Moses tells us in the sacred history of Genesis, as long as we believe correctly about God. The angelic doctor says that is notoriously false because he says an error about creation is reflected in a false understanding of God. So the character of God is what is at stake in this debate. The God of theistic evolution, little g, is a totally different being from the true God, the God of creation. Uh, just, just to take one of, of many points we could make in, in this regard, just consider the fact that if theistic evolution were true, and it can easily be shown to be false from the perspective of theology, philosophy, or natural science, but just supposing it to be true for a moment, that would mean that God allowed his church to teach a completely false account of the origins of man and the universe from the time of the apostles, and then instead of raising up saints and scholars from within the church to enlighten her as to how God actually created the world, what did he do? He raised up godless men like Charles Lyell, Charles Darwin, and T.H. Huxley, who hated the Catholic Church and wanted to destroy her, and used them to enlighten the church leadership so that they could finally teach the correct understanding of how God created man in the universe. Now, young people are not stupid. And this is essentially what we have been teaching most of our young people throughout the Western world for the last 50 or 60 years. And what do they do? They do one of two things. In most cases, they either leave the church, which is what most of them are doing. We have a mass exodus of tens of millions of young people out of the Catholic Church throughout the Western world, or they compartmentalize. They say, well, we have to have the faith because if we didn't have the faith, we would be barbarians, we'd be worse than animals. But science is telling us about, you know, the real world of, of the nuts and bolts world of everyday reality. And basically, we, we can't exactly make these harmonize, but we need both. So especially if I'm a man, 
I still want to go to church on Sunday, and I certainly want my wife and my children to go. Uh, but at the same time, I'm a man. I, I live in a in a dog eat dog world. I see. I deal with evolution, the struggle for existence every day, and so I just learn to compartmentalize. I've got the real world of evolution, and then I have this nice ideal world of religion. But you know, let's be honest. That's mainly for women and children, and maybe when you get old and you start worrying about meeting, meeting your maker, then maybe you should give a little bit more of attention to that world. You see, and that's what's happened. And this is one of the main reasons why men have become totally sidelined, because God created women to be intuitive. The woman was created to be the heart of the home. That's why God created Eve from Adam's side. And so, to a certain extent, women are made in such a way that if things don't exactly add up, they can still follow their heart, follow their intuition, and, and their faith can survive. But God made men analytical, and theistic evolution just doesn't make sense. And I only gave one very strong argument against it. There are many other arguments that we could make. And so, for a man, to embrace theistic evolution, he either has to say that God is a, an, an incompetent monster, or he has to believe that the faith itself is in, in evolution, which essentially is to say that there is no unchanging truth, and that a fundamental doctrine of the Catholic faith is, is wrong from the get-go, or I'm going to compartmentalize. And that's what probably the overwhelming majority of practicing Catholic men in the Western world are doing. They're compartmentalizing. Their faith is not integrated. And this is why they are not fulfilling, we're not fulfilling our responsibilities to be the spiritual leaders of our families and of our communities. Yeah, I was thinking of, uh... The first couple episodes when you you bust out on scripture and the church teaching, I'm watching, going, man, you guys could have stopped right there. That was just mic drop, everything done. Give me give me the best argument after you bring out Leo and uh, the catechism and all this. Going, man, this is great. But no, you went deeper. You brought it. You went into biology and went to basically refuted every evolutionist argument known to man. <laughs> What was, uh, John, what was one, was there anything that you found that was like when you were doing the research that you went, wow, I didn't know that? Yes, I, I would say um, during the last three to four years, we have really been able to uh, understand the link between Darwinism and Cartesian philosophy. And uh, Cartesian philosophy, we're talking here about the uh, philosophy of Rene Descartes, a French philosopher that lived in the uh, first half of the, of the 1600s. And he basically developed uh, a concept that we, we, we talk about in the DVD series called uh, gradualism or uniformitarianism. And he said that it's much easier for us to look at the world as it ex exists today and assume that current processes that we can see account for the origin of everything life, geol geological features, uh, the, the universe, the stars, etc. He, from a philosophical perspective, said that's how we need to explain everything 
that was uh, consistent with his philosophy of rationalism. And so what we see unfolding over the next 400 years is the gradual extension of Cartesian philosophy. First of all, it went into th theological circles. And then in the 1800s, it finally made a big impact in the area of natural science, starting with Charles Lyell and his Principles of Geology that was published in 1830. This would be a, a major influence on Darwin, who knew Charles Lyell and says in The Origin of Species that you may at once put down my book unless you believe basically Charles Lyell's account of, of the geological history. And from there, he goes on and sets forth his origin of species argument that all, all the diversity in life we see is the process of natural selection and, and random chance. But really, all that developed through Lyell and through Darwin was called for centuries earlier uh, through Rene Descartes and his rationalism, uh, rationalistic philosophy. Hugh, uh, I sometimes think you already knew all these arguments already, but was there anything in the series that you found that was, wow, I, you know, I literally didn't know that one. Uh, yes. Um, I would say that the research that was done by some of our members into the writings of St. Augustine what was a revelation for me because uh, I, I understood that St. Augustine's writing was, his thought was not compatible with theistic evolution. And uh, I, I understood that people like Dr. Ken Miller and, and other Catholic intellectuals who point to St. Augustine as this proto-theistic evolutionist who gives us a basis in the Church Fathers for embracing theistic evolution as Catholics. I knew that that was wrong. But what I didn't understand until uh, some of our members, especially a, a young man by the name of Joseph Gedney, really delved into the writings of, of St. Augustine from many different works, but especially into the literal historical, the literal interpretation of Genesis of St. Augustine. I didn't realize what was the full explanation for St. Augustine's deviation from the overwhelming majority view of the Church Fathers. And this was so important that, as you know, we ended up devoting a whole extra episode to St. Augustine, and the question, was St. Augustine a theistic evolutionist? And uh, I think you'll agree that Joseph Gedney and, and others did a marvelous job of research so that we were able to show very clearly not only that St. Augustine would have died for the literal historical truth of every word in the sacred history of Genesis in chapters 1 to 11, but we were also able to show the reason why he didn't follow the overwhelming majority of the fathers in interpreting Yom or Dies or Day in Genesis 1 as a 24-hour day, was not because he didn't accept the literal interpretation. It was because he did accept it. He knew that Genesis was, in his words, history, the same as the Book of Kings. And therefore, he was, he was looking for the literal and obvious sense of the meaning of Genesis 1. 
He wasn't trying to get away from it, as so many Catholic intellectuals would have people believe today. And the, the research that Joseph Gedney and others did eventually made it very clear that one of the principal reasons why St. Augustine believed that he had to interpret Yom or Dies or Day in Genesis 1 as something other than a 24-hour day was because he was dependent on the old Latin translation of the Old Testament, the Vetus Latina, which predated the Vulgate of St. Jerome. And uh, of course, St. Jerome learned Hebrew from the rabbis in Palestine. And the fascinating thing is that if St. Augustine had had St. Jerome's Vulgate translation of the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, he would almost assuredly have followed the overwhelming majority view of the rest of the fathers because those principal contradictions that appear to exist in Genesis chapters one and two in the Vetus Latina disappear in St. Jerome's Vulgate. And so that for me was one of the most exciting discoveries that we made in the course of preparing and, and uh, doing the DVD series. And we should let everyone know that uh, Joseph Gedney has three doctorates from Harvard and Yale. Uh, just kidding, he's a teenager that's been homeschooled. So if you think you need to send your kid to some glorious college, just this, he wrote like a 33-page thing on St. Augustine's on the Colby Center website. It is a fantastic uh, treatise that he put together. So you don't have to send your kid out to uh, some school to make him a genius. This kid's already a genius and never touched the inside of a paid school for what it was worth. Um, John, one of my, outside of Yom and all that, uh, the episodes and uh, the biology stuff was just mind-blowing to me, I thought. I mean, when you guys went check, 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 I was like, this is great. And Ken Miller's probably having a bad day for all the times you guys just tore him apart <laughs> on this charitably. But uh, towards the end, and this, Hugh, we talked, I, I told a lot of people this at the Huntersville uh, meeting that you came down for was, I heard people just talking in the back, uh, well, what's this got to do with abortion? Because, you know, you came down, it was a, it was a pro-life thing. And those two or three episodes towards the end, when you talked about schools, the abortion, eugenics, et cetera, uh, if yeah, if you guys only saw the first two episodes, and you might get maybe you might get bored in the biology, guys, check out the last few when he talks about the modern day inflammation of all these things. Uh, what did you get out of that, John? Yeah, so the the final uh, four episodes uh, talk about the historical consequences of evolution theory, and so we go back to uh, the end of the eighteen hundreds and beginning of the nineteen hundreds. And what we see is a new philosophy. Really, it's kind of a mega philosophy. It combines rationalism with materialism, and it, it comes to be known as humanism. The Humanist Manifesto was issued in 1933. Well, even before that, the humanists begin to take over the direction of public education in the United States through uh, John Dewey, who's called the father of American education, and the NEA uh, that really to this day controls strongly what is taught in uh, not just biology, but in all subject areas in public schools. And so what you see is an entire worldview 
set forth virtually in every subject in public schools. Uh, and of course, biology is, is the fundamental anchor of that worldview, but extends to everything, including sex education. Uh, basically, what humanists try to do through the educational process is to create a, a conflict between the Christian conscience and this humanistic worldview in the hopes that children come to reject the moral requirements or the moral standards of Christianity when they, when they have this conflict. So education is, is a big area. We have a whole episode in the DVD series talking about the impact on education. We also talk about the in influence on uh, theology, including uh, in, in the Catholic Church. And then we also talk about global conflicts, World War I, World War II, the rise of communism. And of course, abor abortion, the culture of death, is one of the major uh, evils in our society that has its roots roots in evolutionary thinking, the work of, of uh, Ernest Haeckel in his, uh, uh, his embryonic drawings, and also Charles Darwin. Hugh, to that point? Well, uh, my own father was the son of a Baptist minister in Wales, and uh, grew up in a very traditional Christian home. But when he went to university in England, he was indoctrinated into evolution-based secular humanism and totally lost his faith in traditional Christianity, went on to work for the United Nations, became an assistant secretary general, co-administrator of United Nations Development Program. And then after 25 years with the UN, he was knighted by the queen and retired and looked at the world and saw that the world was in much worse shape than it was when the United Nations was started. So why was this? Well, at that time, there was already a, a consensus among the intelligentsia in his circle that overpopulation was the root cause of all the world's evils. And that if we just cut down on the number of people, then we would have enough to go around and we would be able to solve all the social and economic problems of the world. And so my father accepted to become the first ever Secretary General of International Planned Parenthood Federation at the very time when IPPF changed its position on abortion and became the world's number one provider of abortion, as well as contraception and, and sex education. And he held that position for just about a year when he died unexpectedly of a heart attack when uh, I was just 16 years old. And it was really his death that precipitated my conversion to the Catholic faith because I had been brought up without prayer, without Bible, church, or anything of that kind. But um, when my father died, I, I somehow opened up to the grace of God and received the gift of faith and, and came into the church when I was 18 years old. But what was remarkable is that when I was received into the church at Princeton University, uh, Jesuit priests were in charge of the chaplaincy at Princeton, and they gave me the Dutch catechism to learn the Catholic faith when I was a catechumen. Now, we call this book the Dutch Cataclysm because this was the book that totally destroyed the faith of a once vibrant Catholic community that sent a disproportionate number of missionaries all over the world who gave their lives to spread the true Catholic faith. 
And the, the whole theme that runs through the Dutch cataclysm from beginning to end is that we are in a scientific age now. And science enlightens us and gives us a new and deeper understanding of our faith than we could ever have before and allows us to understand everything in our faith in a new and deeper way. And so with that very nice sounding theme, the Dutch cataclysm proceeds to sow doubt in the mind of the reader about everything from the historical truth of Genesis, the very existence of angels and demons, of Satan, the original sin, the historical reality of Adam and Eve, the virgin birth, the intrinsic evil of contraception, and just about everything in between. And so it's a, it's a miracle that I survived the Dutch cataclysm. But what I eventually came to realize is that this whole premise upon which the Dutch cataclysm is based, that we could learn or discover truths in natural science that would force us to basically reinterpret the entire Catholic faith. This could not possibly be true. And what I eventually came to see is that there is no manifestation of the anti-culture of death, whether you're talking about divorce, contraception, transgenderism, homosexuality, whatever, whatever it is, there is not a single one of these evils that does not find a justification in the quote-unquote science of molecules to man evolution. And so what I've come to understand and what I think the DVD series documents is that the pro-life community has been fighting valiantly against the anti-culture of death, uh, fighting against abortion, fighting against contraception, fighting against all of these evils. But very, very few of the leaders in the pro-life movement have identified the root of all of these evils, which is this evolution-based secular humanist worldview with its attendant Cartesian uniformitarian naturalistic philosophy. And so what we've come to understand is that unless we expose this evolutionary foundation and then eradicate it, we're only going to be treating the symptoms of the disease. We're never going to get rid of it. But we have seen again and again with audiences all over the world that when a person, especially a young person, realizes the truth about evolution and embraces the true doctrine of creation, that person now has a totally solid foundation upon which to build a pro-life uh, family, a pro-life community. But as we try to fight the anti-culture of death without identifying and eradicating the roots of the anti-culture of death, we're never going to succeed. Yeah, I remember when I was watching the, uh, uh, the final episodes, I was screenshotting everything and sending it back to Keith going, I mean, to get me like that, because I watch a lot of 
politics and things like that. I'm going, wow, how'd you find this? It was just unreal of how how evil things have gotten in that sense. And you were, you were talking about miracles. First thing that popped in my head was, yeah, the biggest miracle with a lot of these, especially the, you know, the priests that are upset about this whole deal is uh, between chapters 11 and 12, when it miraculously Genesis goes from fiction to history. I, they haven't figured out what part of uh, where that actually happens, but that's what I love when you got Father uh, W. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. I'll screw it up. Father, Father Warkowitz. Yes, yes. Um, so on that, what was I going to go with that? Um, oh, yeah. When people start telling that the Colby Center is dangerous and studying this is dangerous, um, when you, especially when you take the words of Leo the Thirteenth when he says doing the opposite is actually dangerous, what you were talking about, children, uh, the youth running away, Leo calls that out. I think it's Proventismus Deus. So what, if, what would your response be to people that would say, this, learning this is just dangerous, even though they don't give any reasoning behind it? John? Yeah, I, I think if you go back and look historically at the statements made by the church, you'll see that the Colby Center and Restoring Truth Ministries really are among the few organizations in the world that are being faithful to the instructions of the magisterium. You mentioned uh, Pope Leo XIII, the encyclical Proventissimus Deus. In paragraphs 18 and 22 of that encyclical, he specifically instructs priests to become knowledgeable about the natural sciences to attack or to, to counter the attack on sacred scripture. And then in 22, he, he calls for loyal men uh, of science, faithful to the church, to come and be an aid to the theologians, to the priests, to help defend the truth of, of God's word. And then if we go forward then and look at the encyclical, uh, 1950 encyclical, Humanae Generis, there in paragraph 36, um, a period of discussion is opened up where the church is allowing scientists and theologians to discuss if evolution could ever be harmonized with church doctrine. But it's very specific, and it says, when we are in this period of discussion, we must look at the evidence both for and against evolution, and to treat it as a certain proven fact is beyond the permitted limits of discussion. And so what we do in the video series, in the scientific episodes, we look at the evidence both for and against evolution, and we do this very simply by, at, at the beginning of each of the icons, we put forth the claims that are found in the biology textbooks, and then we go into the scientific literature where more details than you'll ever find in the biology textbooks are found, and the scientific literature itself just absolutely destroys, us, destroys every single icon that we look at. So not only are there good reasons from theology, um, as, as Hugh has taught for years, to, to reject evolution theory, but from science itself, the scientific literature destroys every single claim for evolution in the biology textbook. Hugh, uh, to that point, since they usually go after you on this, the Colby Center is dangerous. Uh, tell me, how... You look like you're not going to hurt me or anything like that. How, you, they, how is this teaching dangerous? Uh, it, it would seem that it's the opposite would be the dangerous part. You're talking to you know, Stalin. All these guys took on this, this idea and killed millions. Uh, how many people of creationism killed? Well, certainly uh, Pope Leo XIII in Arcanum Divine on holy marriage 
tells the bishops of the whole world, you have to defend holy marriage on this foundation, that God on the sixth day of creation, having formed man from the slime of the earth, and having breathed into his face the breath of life, gave him a companion whom he miraculously took from the side of Adam when he was locked in sleep. And he says, this is what is known to all and cannot be denied by anyone. So we're defending what the successor of St. Peter said in upholding the tradition handed down to him from the apostles. You're defending what he said is known to all and cannot be denied by anyone. But I would have to agree with our critics that what we are teaching is dangerous. It's very dangerous to the kingdom of Satan, but it's also very dangerous to our comfortable um, rapprochement with the world. Because one of the things that accepting evolution has done for Catholic intellectuals is to make us acceptable to the world in, in a certain sense, to a certain extent. And we like to compare the situation today with one of the other worst crises in the history of the church, the Aryan crisis. Because if you look back at what happened in the Aryan crisis, when according to Father Jurgens, probably the leading expert in patristics in, in the world when he wrote, 97% of the Catholic bishops were in communion with the Aryan heretics at the height of the Aryan crisis. Now, that doesn't mean that 97% of the bishops were teaching the Aryan heresy or denied the divinity of Christ, but 97% of the bishops, according to Father Jurgens, were willing to be in communion with people who did deny the divinity of Christ, at least as it had been defined at the Council of Nicaea. Now, what many people don't realize is how this came about in the historical context. Because when the first uh, Council of Nicaea defined the divinity of Christ, the Emperor Constantine had just recently converted to the Catholic faith. And the Emperor of Rome had gone from being the worst enemy of the church during the reign of Diocletian, just a couple of decades before, and now he was the best friend of the church, having the scriptures transcribed, building churches, and doing everything to promote the growth of the Catholic Church. So when the son of Constantine uh, the Great, Constantius, the emperor of the West, began to favor the Arian party, you have to remember that the church leadership, most of them had experienced the Diocletian persecution, when men, women, and children were brutally tortured and put to death for their Catholic faith. And now the emperor had become their best friend, the, the great patron of the church, and here you had the new emperor of the West favoring the Arian party. So it's understandable that church leaders wanted to find a way to keep the peace, to find a way to compromise. And that's why at uh, the council at Rimini, 
there were 400 bishops more than attended the Council of Nicaea in 325, and they were the ones who approved of the homoousius. Just add that one little letter, that one iota, to say that our Lord Jesus Christ was of like substance with the Father instead of one substance with the Father, homoousius, as in the Nicene Creed. And this is why when St. Jerome made his famous statement that at the Council of Rimini, the whole world groaned and found itself Arian, people often don't read the rest of the sentence He's, because he says in the same sentence that this was on account of the peace and of the emperor. In other words, the reason why the overwhelming majority of the church leaders were willing to compromise was so that they would, in a sense, have peace with the world. And this is what evolution does within our own community. It offers us a false way, a, a wrong way, but a very enticing way to make ourselves intellectually respectable. So because the world understands we have some of these strange beliefs, like we think we worship a piece of bread and we, we think that maybe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but th they're kind of used to that. But those are not scientific claims. Those are just things that we accept by a leap of faith. But evolution is the quintessential modern doctrine. That's the foundation of the secular humanist worldview that reigns supreme in the Western world. So if Catholics will accept the quote-unquote science of evolution, it makes us very acceptable in the eyes of the world. And so for people who are very intent on maintaining their intellectual respectability in the eyes of mainstream academia, in the eyes of the world, the Kolbe Center and Restoring Truth Ministries, we are very dangerous because young people who study what we present in the Foundations Restored DVD series are not going to continue to accept theistic evolution. And that is going to make them totally countercultural. They are not going to fit in. It's going to make their lives very, very difficult. And if they want to have any kind of professional or academic career, it is going to require a miraculous kind of providence from God to, to lead them in such a way that they will be able to provide for themselves and for their families. But this is just what our Lord has required of us from day one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And what the theistic evolution teaching has done is it's, it's led us to invert the right priorities. We're allowing now natural scientists to dictate to theologians and philosophers what is right and what is wrong and how to interpret the Bible and, and how to understand our own origins. Whereas it's the theologians, with the help of the philosophers, who are the ones who are supposed to be keeping the natural scientists within their proper boundaries. And instead of making it 
our first priority to succeed in the world and to be accepted by the world, it should be our first priority to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to be 100% faithful to God's word as it has been understood in the church from the beginning. And it's when we do that, and that's exactly what we're going to do in the era of peace promised by Our Lady of Fatima in the not-too-distant future. That's when we're going to see a golden age of scientific and medical research and, and uh, a, a golden age in terms of the way that a Catholic society addresses the economic and social problems that we have to face. So I think that that's why the Kolbe Center is dangerous. We're dangerous to the kingdom of Satan because we're attacking the very foundations of his kingdom in its modern form, but we're also very dangerous to the comfort and the security of our community, which has made its peace with the world by accepting a doctrine that is really antithetical to the fundamental doctrine of creation, which is the foundation of our faith. Very good. So yeah, if you're listening, I haven't watched all the episodes yet, or you have, obviously, please go check it out. The link will be below in the show notes section description. Uh, buy it for a priest friend, uh, get together with a group and buy the DVD series for your local priest who may never have heard any of this, or even better, uh, buy it for the seminaries. Uh, get your local councils together and buy it for the whole seminary. Convert, uh, work on the priests that are coming out in the future. Uh, there's many things you can do to help out, uh, help educate everyone in this. Uh, so, final words, John. Uh, I just feel blessed to have participated in this series. It's been a long process of so three and a half years, but uh, I'm so heartened by the enthusiasm of all the people that participated in writing and filming the uh, DVD series. So we just ask uh, for everyone's prayers that uh, this will be widely viewed and will have an impact in the restoration of truth. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I unmuted myself. (laughs) Hugh, any final words? (laughs) Yes, I would just like to ask the viewers to please make your own investigation. Don't take our word or Steve's or anybody else's word in this matter, which is so important. The foundations of the faith, make your own investigation. And if you conclude that what we are defending is the truth, as I'm confident that you will, if you actually view the entire DVD series. Please get into the fight. Support us with your prayers and your sacrifices and and in, in whatever other ways our Lord and the Blessed Mother might inspire you to do so, because we now have an opportunity in Africa to train Catholic leaders from all over the African continent because the bishops over there do not want their young people to suffer the same devastation of the faith that our young people 
have been subjected to in the West. And we need your prayers and your support to be able to take advantage of this incredible opportunity where we have bishops, many bishops who want us to come and train the leaders to teach the people how to defend and proclaim the true Catholic doctrine of creation and how to refute this evolution-based modernism and secular humanism. Because this church in Africa can truly save the world, but we need your prayers and your support to be able to seize the opportunity that God is giving us. You, you know, in the Aryan crisis, St. Athanasius was one of the few who defended the true doctrine of the divinity of Christ. He was the principal one, and he was the Bishop of Alexandria at the mouth of the Nile River. Well, in God's providence, we have found our greatest reception on earth in Uganda, which is at the mouth, I'm sorry, at the source of the Nile River. So we believe that just as St. Athanasius was able to defend the divinity of Christ in the worst uh, crisis of faith in the first millennium, now we are being given the opportunity to help to equip church leaders at the source of the Nile River to, to do what St. Athanasius did in his day. Outstanding. Well, gentlemen, uh, appreciate you guys coming on, and Merry Christmas to both of you. And, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, more people will, will sign up and go to the Colby website and do the emails, uh, get on with the email list. I know Hugh puts out about once a week. Yes. And uh, check out John's site as well. I have both sites linked below in the show notes. And anytime you gents need anything, just feel free to ask me and we'll, t we'll do something. Thank you, Steve. Thank, Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. No problem. Well, God bless and Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Everybody, Steve, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the bell so you get notifications when new videos come out. And below in the show notes, the description section is the link for the first two episodes of the Foundations Restored series for free. So use the link and share it with others. God bless and talk to y'all soon.